I'm Brian Barnett. I'm just a regular guy. I'm not a doctor. I have no legal license in any field of psychology. But I did live a large part of my life with borderline personality disorder unknowingly. And I really did rid myself of the disorder completely and permanently. Through that, I've become an expert on issues involving emotional health. I accept no responsibility whatsoever for your feelings, thoughts, behaviors, decisions, and actions, including your decision to watch or listen to this show at all. But I do hope you might benefit yourself from the insights I share. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to The Last Symptom. I'm Brian Barnett, the creator and host of The Last Symptom. Thank you for joining me. I've got a question for you. Which one of yous have been talking about me? The reason why I ask is because uh, yesterday I was checking. Was it, was it yesterday? Yeah, I think it was yesterday. Wednesday. I checked the downloads for this show, and they shot up really high. And I sat around thinking about what in the world explains that. It wasn't a new show yesterday. So what explains that? And what I realized was that uh, if somebody on another show, like on another podcast, had mentioned uh, the show, well then that would have that would have caused that to uh, to happen. People to run over and check out the show. So if you're a new listener, welcome. Uh, I hope you'll stick around. Let me tell you something about how the way this show works. I have a large audience. People are really familiar with me. I mean, they know a lot about me. And this we're now in the fifth season. People probably feel like they know me pretty good. And so when I start a new show, I don't typically jump right into the primary theme of the show. Usually I kind of ease into it. I catch people up on my life. Uh, you know, I try to be personable. If you're watching or listening for the first time and you're thinking, why doesn't he just get to it? Why doesn't he just get to it? Well, because that's why. Because I'm trying to be uh, more than just some robot voice barking out information. I'm trying to be personable and uh, connect with my audience. I think, you know, uh, that most folks appreciate that about this show, is that it's kind of laid back, it's casual. When we talk about serious things, we get serious. But, uh, you know, life is not all about the serious. It's also about connecting with one another and that sort of thing. So uh, the reason why I bring that up is because somebody on last week's show was complaining uh, basically that I didn't get to the point quick enough that it was all this big promotion and a book review well what do you think I'm trying to sell that guy's book that I was talking about last week I don't care if you buy his book or not I'm not working for him I have no connection to him the reason why I was sharing what I liked about the book and the fact that I had that I had read the book is because I personally enjoyed reading the book 
not because I'm trying to sell you a book. Yes, I reckon in the strict sense of the definition, it was a book review. But if you and I are buddies, if we're friends, or we're trying to get to know each other, and we're out on a boat fishing, that's the type of thing I'd be talking about. So if that bothers you, uh, I think that's more of a reflection on you than really it is on me and the way I approach this show. Okay, in all respect, maybe you need to take a look at yourself in the mirror and say, why am I so critical about a guy just sharing parts of himself with his audience? That said, let me tell you about the backpacking trip. My, my daughter's very first backpacking trip. Last weekend, I told you we were going out. It was going to be her very first backpacking trip of her entire life since she was a little itty-bitty thing. She'd been telling me, Daddy, I want to go on the backpacking trip with you. And here I am going off into temperatures that are, you know, eight below zero and stuff like that. And climbing these mountains and coming across rattlesnakes and all this stuff. And I said, Honey, I've been telling her for years, Honey, the time will come when I'll be able to ease you into this lifestyle. And I'm really looking forward to it. I can't wait. I can't wait until you and I can go out there. I can teach you some of these things and we can have these experiences together rather than me just going out and then coming back and telling you all about them. I reckon she was four, yeah, probably four years old. She, she pressed me, Daddy, give me, a, give me an age. When will I be old enough to go on these backpacking trips with you in the wilderness? I kind of thought ahead and, you know, I tried to figure out when, the, when might she be old enough to do a, a thing like that. And I said, well, let's say seven. Now, my daughter knows that when I say a thing, I follow through on it. Even if later circumstances and everything are not ideal for me. And, and I regret uh, having committed myself to something with her. She knows that my word is my word. If I, if I say it to her, then, then I will follow through. So when I said seven, I was thinking, you know, for, and she's age four, seven is like 250 years in the future. You know, it's, it's this long, far-off date that you know will come on some level, uh, but on another level, you're thinking, boy, that's real far off. So I got lots of time, and she's got lots of time, but it went by in a flash. Went by in a real flash, and she says, uh, Daddy, I'm seven now, so I wanna go on this backpacking trip. And I said, well, okay. So I picked out this trail, and the way that I managed it, what I mean is that the way that I planned out the mileage and everything and the days that we were going to be out there was between four and five mile days because I, you know I, I needed a certain type of mileage that I thought that her little legs could endure and all that and I thought if we get out there we do five miles on the first night and we get out there and um, it's too much for her then what we'll do is we'll just turn around we'll do we'll split the next two days up into two and a half mile days you know so two and a half miles coming back the same way we come camp somewhere that night do two and a half miles the way out get back to the 
the old bacon, the, the truck. I never had to do that. I'll tell you what, she was incredible. My daughter's four feet high, so you can get out a tape measure or something like that, and you can get an idea how tall she is. A tiny little thing still. But she did that five miles every day, five miles. And let me tell you something about that. It rained every day and every night, and it was um, about 90 degrees and 100% humidity every day and night. It was killing me. And she did it, did not complain. On the last day, she did a little bit of complaining. I carried her backpack. I had her take off her backpack, and I, I packed it for her. Oh, I reckon two, two, three miles or something like that before I had her put it back on. And, you know, to be honest about it, I was carrying 90% of her stuff in my own backpack already. But she, uh, I'm so proud of her. I can't even tell you how proud of her I am. She was... She loved the experience. She saw for the first time uh, a Katie did. She got to hold Katie dids. If I don't know if all all of you know what a Katie did is, but you can duck duck go it or use the search engine of your choice to look that up. What else did she come across? A lot of toads. She come across a lot of toads. Got to hold a lot of different sized toads. At one point, she what is this? She said, "It's pouring rain. We're on the trail." what is this and i stopped dead in my tracks turn around find to find out what she's discovered and uh, it was a salamander salamanders are really fascinating things yeah those salamanders are really when you're a kid it's amazing they're kind of like a mixture between a frog a fish and a lizard squishy cute Uh, they've always got like different collars and patterns and stuff on them I said, well, that's a salamander. Oh, my gosh, she said. A salamander. A salamander. And I discovered it. Can I I touch it? Yeah, you can touch that. You can hold that. She had that in her hand. Can I I hike along with it? Oh, come on. (laughs) Let's Let's let that salamander go back to its home. And then she come across another salamander, a different salamander, and she was just as thrilled with that. Uh, what else did she see? I mean, it was a lot of firsts for her. So it was just a wonderful experience. Uh, she's ate up with chiggers now. Uh, I don't know if everybody in my audience knows what chiggers are. Some people call them jiggers. But chiggers, jiggers, uh, are just these little biting bugs when you go through high grass. They, they chew you up. And I mean, you you keep itching and scratching for a good solid week, week and a half after you get ate up by chiggers. When I was a kid, they, you know, because you're 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 closer to the ground when you're a kid, and it's any time you walk you need to walk through grass or brush. So anytime you need to walk through high grass or anything like that, the chiggers will just eat you up. And when you're a little boy, they typically end up eating up your your nut sack. Uh, you know, pardon my my frankness there, but they eat up your nutsack. And um, Appalachian moms, and probably Southern moms too, their home remedy for that is to take nail polish and put nail polish over the the chigger bite. Now I got when I growed up a little bit, I, I looked into that to see if there's anything to that because here, here's the reason why they put the nail po- polish over the chigger bite. So if you can imagine, lots of 
uh, Appalachian and Southern boys walking around with nail with their balls painted all up with nail polish, and that's hilarious. But that it's true uh, to to combat the chiggers, chigger bites, I should say. The misbelief, or you know, the the, the erroneous belief, is that the chiggers burrow under the skin, and that's why it keeps itching for so long. So Appalachian moms, Southern moms will paint the bite with uh, fingernail polish, believing that that smothers out the chigger, so the chigger dies and then and then the itching goes away. But um, as I've come to learn, there's no truth to that at all. They bite you and they go away. So there I am walking around all the life of my youth with my balls all painted up with fingernail, ladies' fingernail polish. Not a single, not, it's not doing a single thing. But uh, I will say that they, it, it, it's not a pleasant experience. It continues to itch for a long, long time. I got some here on my arm, got, got a few on my ankles, but she, she got it a lot worse than I did. Um, one last thing I'll say about this backpacking trip. On the last day, uh, we decide it's time to get out. We're, we're soaking wet. I mean, we are soaking wet. Been soaking wet for days. And uh, so I look on the map. I find a, a connector trail, kind of a shortcut between where we're going and a connector trail that will connect us back to kind of the origins of the trail so that we can get back to the car earlier. It's still like five miles that day. So I say, well, we're going to cut this short and we'll get back to the, the truck and we find this cave so it's pouring rain we get up underneath this cave we have lunch and everything we get our you know our energy back then we head up this trail this connector trail i'm looking at the map i'm trying to gauge it's a topo map a topographic map and so i can kind of gauge the topographic rises and falls and all that stuff we have lunch as we're having lunch the rain stops we go okay this is a good time to go we head out get on that trail it starts pouring pouring the rain and the trail heads up so we follow the trail up and the trail narrows there's a cliff side on one side and on the other side of the trail it is a a dead drop off I mean just straight drop I'm not talking about you know kind of an inclined like a you know how it is in nature sometimes in nature even when you're on a cliff the cliff kind of gradually falls away from the trail it, it wasn't like that it was a a 90 degree drop off the edge of the of the trail in the pouring rain we got the dog with us he's trying to tangle she's trying to tangle up between our legs and everything i'm trying to get her up the trail i'm holding on to eloise's arm as tightly as i can while trying to navigate this trail it was so stressful i mean it was scary really scary and nothing on the on the map indicated that we were going to encounter anything like that at all and and the real pickle was that once we're into it there's just nothing to do except keep going so here i am with my seven-year-old daughter going up this trail and i'm telling you what there were there were sections of that trail it, it was worse than anything I saw when I was backpacking down into Grand Canyon you had a 
a 90 degree cliff on one side so you you can't go anywhere then the trail I'm not kidding is not but that wide and then right on the other side of the trail is a 90 degree drop off and we're up oh I'm gonna say 100 feet 100 feet and more you know because we were continuing to climb but that's not it across the trail were these trees which had fallen across the trail it had not been cleared out and the only way to get through those trees and continue along the trail was either either to go under them or to go over top of them and with the big packs on our back it was just it was really stressful really scary as I'm doing it I'm thinking nobody's gonna believe this nobody is gonna this is like a movie like something in the jungle nobody's gonna believe it but uh, as I told my locals audience the very last thing I was gonna do was get out my camera and start recording this when the safe you know my daughter's safety is in my hands my safety's in my hands my dog's safety's in my hands I've got to concentrate and focus on every single step we make uh, it was it was hairy but we did it and we got through it and she had the time of her life so if you'd like to see some images or some video of that I, I'm I've been telling the folks on locals that I'm gonna post some of that this week I just ain't got around to doing that yet speaking of locals let's do some announcements uh, the last that's my website for free and paid resources I hope you'll take advantage of all that and speaking of locals specifically there's a special promotion going on right now folks if you didn't hear last week if you didn't watch or listen to last week's show you can get seven months access for free to the intensive course that I developed for folks who are interested in escaping emotional disorder uh, and that is the last symptom fundamentals course how do you how do you get it free access to the last symptom fundamentals course the way you do that is you join the last symptom community on locals you can get there by going to the last symptom locals.com or by downloading the locals.com app on the app store and then searching for the last symptom you have to be a paid supporter if you're a paid supporter in our online community there on locals you can have free access to the last symptom fundamentals course that expires next Tuesday that offer so you know time's wasting all right on to the day's topic primary topic I should say I had another discussion that I wanted to get into today with you but uh, today on the locals group on our last symptom community somebody brought up a question and I reckon this is a good time to talk about it as any about how unhealthy people when we're unhealthy we don't view other people as people now I've been talking about this for a while and I know it goes over a lot of people's heads unhealthy people don't view people as people what the heck does that mean what does that mean and what does it all involve and what does it all imply well let's talk about that unhealthy people don't view other people as people that is to say as individuals now it can be very difficult for me to convey exactly this truth 
so that other people can get a, a real sense of what it is I'm talking about. But the way the this conversation started was that the person asked me, have you noticed that unhealthy families are governed by unwritten rules that discourage and punish people who show any individuality? Now, I, I've, I'm paraphrasing the original question, but basically that is the, the question. Unhealthy families don't handle very well somebody expressing or exerting their individuality, do they? Why is that? Well, it comes down to what I just said. Unhealthy people don't view other people as people. Think about what emotional disorder is. We've talked about it a lot in the past. What is the cause of emotional disorder? What, where is the disorder coming from? It's based, it's rooted in misperceptions or a, a fundamental misunderstanding about the inherent nature of feelings, self, and life. When, do you remember that every time I say you have a misperception or a misconception about self, that this doesn't just apply to you. In other words, this is not just a misperception or misunderstanding that you have about the nature of yourself, but by extension, a misperception you have about all selves, all people, what it means to be a person, an individual. You see, you, it, it's impossible for you to have misperceptions about your nature as a person and not have misperceptions about the nature of other people as individuals. And these things are all tied in together. But the simplest way to say it is that, for example, when I was unhealthy, when I looked out at other people, my ex-wife, the people I worked with, uh, my lover or my mistress, whichever term you want to use, my girlfriend, my brother, my, my aunts, my uncles, my cousins, I did not view them as people. And to understand that, you have to understand what that means to view somebody as a person. What, what does it mean to be an individual? Have you ever thought about that? So that you can kind of grasp what it is that unhealthy people are experiencing when they look out at, at other people. Let's talk about healthy people for a second. When, what, when healthy people look out at other people, what is it that they're seeing? What is it that they're seeing that causes them to behave in completely different ways? to interpret what they're seeing in entirely different ways and then to behave in entirely different ways. I'm going to tell you, when healthy people look out and they see other people, what they are viewing is another being that is completely unique and separate, separated from themselves. 
So it's got no connection to them. The person is a standalone, unique being. No connection, no relationship to them, to themselves, I should say, as a standalone, unique being. Yeah, if you think about it, that's what being an individual is. Being an individual inherently involves being a completely unique being unto yourself. You're not an extension of me. You're not a part of me. You've got no relationship to me. You are a stand. So whatever I am, you are a standalone version, completely unique to yourself. You're not related to me. You have no connection to me. You're a standalone thing, a standalone being, being. Let's say that with a a Yankee accent, being. That's kind of a Forrest Gump accent one. Uh, I miss you, Jenny. But you get it. What this naturally includes when you view a person as a completely standalone being... I miss you, Jenny. What it naturally includes, and there's no other possibility, is that as an individual, you will naturally have your own opinions, your own likes, your own dislikes, your own interests, your own preferences, your own ideals, right? Do you see that? Because you're completely separate from me. So whatever my ideals are, my preferences, my likes, my dislikes, my opinions, if you're completely separate from me and you're a standalone being, when I view you and I'm viewing you with that understanding that you're a completely separate and standalone being, what am I just going to accept? If If that's my view, what do I just naturally have to accept? that you have your own opinions, your own preferences, your own likes, dislikes, all these things, right? Do you see that then that my natural inclination, if that's my perspective upon meeting you, is curiosity? Almost like meeting an alien being, right? Comes to the earth. What would what would you think? What would be going through your head? What what is this thing? How does it think, and why does it think like that? What does it like? What does it dislike? What does it eat? Right? What's its life like? Do you see how naturally when you perceive somebody as being a, an individual, you, when you truly do view other people as individuals, kind of a natural, not kind of, definitely a natural result of that is curiosity. You're not assuming, well, they eat the same things I eat, they like the same things I like, they view the world the same way I do, they have the same opinions I do. No. Your natural inclination is to say, well, because they're a standalone, unique individual, they've got all their own preferences and stuff. And I wonder what those are. Like, I can't understand you unless I get to know those things. Why would I not want to get to know those things? Or why would I assume that I already know those things? The only reason I do that 
is because I don't view you as an individual. You, do you see that? The only reason that I would assume that you like the same movies I like, your favorite songs are the same songs I like, your favorite foods are the same foods I like, things I think are disgusting are the same things you think are disgusting. The only reason that I would default into that assumption is if I do not view you as an individual. Do you see that? So the healthy person, when they look out and they see another person, literally, on an unconscious level, we talked about this last week, just as unhealthy people are not walking around examining the, you know, the, the details, the, the subtle nature of all these things, healthy people also are not. I mean, if you, you have no reason to. Unless you have a reason for your attention to be called to these things, you you grow up, uh, and these things just happen naturally under the radar. But there are unhealthy people, and there are healthy people. But healthy people view another person. They they meet another person, and they go here again unconsciously. Here is a a standalone being. The way the Yankees say it is being. Here is a standalone being, Jenna. I want to know what makes this person this person. They're an individual. There's never been another person like her or him in the entire history of the world, and there never will be again. So this person who just introduced herself or himself to me, I want to know. Who are they? This this completely unique individual. So do you see that since healthy people truly view other people as people, that is to say as individuals, in their minds, naturally, not they don't have to force themselves to do it, as a natural result of viewing a person as an individual what happens they naturally include the understanding I mean it just comes with viewing a person as a as a unique standalone individual they just naturally include an understanding of the fact that this person is not going to think like I think is not going to have the same preferences that I have is not going to have the same likes and dislikes is not going to have the same worldview is not going to agree with me on what the best movie of all time is. It's not going to agree with me on what the best on who the best writer is of all time and who the best book is of all time. So, do you see how that naturally leads to curiosity and interest in that person? What that naturally includes is that if they express an opinion that is contrary to your opinion, you're not going to take offense. Why not? Because you've already accepted that they're not going to have the same opinion as you. If they do end up having the same opinion of, uh, uh, that I have on something, it's going to be a complete coincidence. Why is it going to be a complete coincidence? Why is it not an expected thing? Because they're an individual. They're, they are separate from you. There is no relation to you. They're a standalone 
individual. Questions like this will go through your mind when you meet a new person that you view as a completely unique and standalone individual. Wonder what makes that being, Jenny, unique, completely unique, separate, distinct. There's never been one of her or him on the face of the earth before, and there never will be again. Who is that person? How how do I get to know who that person is? Well, I, I find out those things, don't I? Oh, broccoli is your favorite food of all time. Speaking of that, I remember going on a backpacking trip with a guy named Alex that I used to work with in Philadelphia, Um, a Russian Jew, a Russian Jew. And what I remember about him is that uh, he was really, really attractive. He really attractive. He was like supermodel guy. And when we become friends at at work, it was just like this huge thing. Oh my gosh, Brian and Alex hanging out together. That's a crazy thing. So then, I invite Alex to go backpacking with me. He had been in the Israeli army. Yeah. So he had gone and done his time in the Israeli army. Come out. He become a, a an occupational therapist. So I I would interpret for him from time to time at the hospital because he was an occupational therapist. Sometimes I'd be called on to be his interpreter. But I invited him on a backpacking trip. We got out there. I think it was was either in like November, December, February, something like that. It it snowed that night. We woke up under a, a layer of snow. I told him, you don't want, he he said, what kind of food should I take? I said, well, light stuff, you know, so like freeze-dried food, stuff like that. Anything's going to be light. We got out there, hiked, I think, 10 miles the first day or something like that, set up camp. He gets out his supper. It's all canned food. Do you know how heavy canned food is? It's very heavy. Alex, I told you not to bring that kind of food. You're killing yourself. He was, he was carrying tons more than we were. Anyway, we got to, to sit around a fire there that night and talking. And I said, we're talking about favorite foods. I said, what's your favorite food? And he said taters were his favorite food. I'll never forget this. That he said taters were his favorite food. Uh, p- potatoes. So, I'll tell you why it surprised me so much. I, I never gave any thought to potatoes. Never gave any thought to them. If you were to ask me at that time what my favorite food was, uh, I would have said pizza or hamburgers or you know something like that. And his answer really surprised me. Taters. Taters are Alex's favorite food. And of course then I started putting two and two together. He's uh, Russian, right? So there's kind of a there's kind of tech context for you, right? Because culturally, you know, when you think of Russians, you think, yeah, okay, taters, vodka, that sort of thing. But I asked him, why? I mean, I was really curious. Why, Alex? Of all the things you could have picked, why a tater? <laughs> he says, well, there's just so many things you can do with a tater. He didn't say tater. He said potato. But he said there's so many things you can do with one. 
And do you know that um, that really, just that conversation with Alex about his favorite food being taters, first of all, called, it caused me to reevaluate the tater, which I had overlooked all my life. You know, you eat french fries, you eat mashed taters, you eat fried taters. Uh, I mean, you eat, they, they, he, he's right. There's so many things you can do with a tater. But um, ever since then, I started taking, I started throwing a tater or two taters into my backpack every time I go into the woods. Why? Because there's so much you can do with a tater. You can fry it. You can bake it. You can mash it. You, it, you can add it to other meals. It, it's just wonderful, the tater. But do you see how not viewing Alex as an individual, I would have said he's stupid. He's wrong. He's wrong. The tater is not is not a favorite food. It can't be. It doesn't qualify. But viewing him as a as an individual, the curiosity kicked in. Wow. Of all the things you could pick, Alex, you picked a tater. Well, I said I'd it's not one of my favorite foods. I don't remember what I picked. But do you see how his individuality enriched my life in ways that he he, he couldn't even understand today? I don't even think he'd believe I don't even think he'd remember that conversation. But it has enriched my life and it continues to enrich my life because his individuality by me appreciating it and allowing for it caused me to reevaluate the tater, and and now I, I see the uh, a, a potato in a completely different light. Anyway, there's a, there's a real life example of me asking somebody a question, having my own preferences and my own expectations of how they were going to answer, and being totally caught off guard by the answer, and it enriching my life to view a person as an individual naturally and inherently involves what it in naturally and inherently involves accepting the differences that make them an individual you see it is inseparably linked you cannot view a person as an individual and at the same time not allow for those differences. You can't. You can't. To view somebody as an individual or as a person, there's just a, it, those are two ways of saying the same thing, by the way. I view you as a person. I view you as an individual. It's the same thing. When you don't view people as individuals, as standalone beings, that means you're not viewing them as people. And we're going to talk uh, in a second about what that means you do view them as, as. But to view a person as an individual naturally inherently involves accepting the differences that make them unique, that set them apart as an individual. Think about my daughter all the time. There are things I expect of her. There are There is concepts of right and wrong that I am conveying to her as her father. But within that, 
there is this great big huge variety of possibilities right that are all acceptable that are not right or wrong there's this huge array of possibility that's all acceptable it's not good or bad it's just it's what makes sets her apart as an individual how many stories do you need to hear of parents trying to make their children into versions of themselves before you realize those parents don't view people as people how do we know that those types of parents don't view people as people because they don't allow for the individuality aspect of it they don't allow for the uniqueness the things that stand those individuals apart from who they are right remember to view a person as a as an individual as a person inherently there's just no other possibility it absolutely has to involve the acceptance of what makes them an individual or what sets them apart what makes them unique so when I look when I think about my daughter when I'm looking at her when I'm asking her questions and everything she says you know like honey what's your favorite color well my my favorite color is this a lot of questions come into my head like why why is that her favorite color I asked her Maybe she doesn't even fully understand why it's her favorite color, but she tries to explain it. That reveals more aspects of her individuality to me. What makes her the only person like her that has ever lived and that will ever live? It's a fascinating topic. I especially take note when her answers, like when her opinions, when her preferences, when certain thing when she reveals certain aspects about herself that are completely contrary to mine that stops me in my tracks not because I go what well that ain't right I gotta correct that no not for that reason but because I go wow this is a tremendous opportunity for me to know my daughter in a way that I would never otherwise get to know. The individuality of what makes my daughter my daughter. Not your daughter, not his daughter, not their daughters, my daughter. The only one of her that has ever existed and ever will. So let's talk about the unhealthy person. Do they view people as individuals? We know they don't. We know they don't. If you grew up in an unhealthy family, you know they don't and you've been learning from the last symptom especially then you know that they don't and if you did grow up in an unhealthy family you're an adult with your own kids now and you're examining your own behaviors and attitudes toward your own children you know you haven't been doing that either how do we know that because whatever you learned from your parents is what you have taken and it's what you're using now to parent your own children I mean you learned to view notions or you know the nature of self and the nature of people from your parents that's the only education you got there so however your parents were and are you've taken that you're using that in life today but but it's fixable 
So this is not like, well, you're a terrible person or anything like that. No, the things you do are different than who you are, and especially when things are fixable. The things you do are fixable. Attitudes are fixable. So this is something you can fix as individuals because unhealthy people... By the way, I got to turn off the air conditioner, so... Don't feel like I'm screaming into the microphone anymore. And my birds are awake. I got my birds out here. Got them some really nice toys and stuff today. Eloise and I went to the old Walmart and fixed the birds up with everything to make them happy. And you know, when when they're happy, it makes us happy. But anyway, unhealthy people don't view people as people. What's that mean? It means they ain't naturally inclined to accept the things that being a person inherently necessitates or includes. That is, being an individual. Unhealthy people instead unconsciously view themselves... And this is where it gets complicated. I tried to think back to when I was doing this and my worldview, kind of like my, my mentality, living life. Uh, and now I'm trying to describe it for you. If you're an unhealthy person, I really I would really like you to try to tap into this. Try to see the, the truth of, of what I'm trying to describe. You might be able to describe it better than me. But uh, if you're unhealthy, you should be able to grasp what I'm what I'm talking about here. If you're a healthy person and you're trying to understand the the worldview or the the perspectives that unhealthy people walk around in, this should help you quite a bit. On an intellectual level, when we're unhealthy, we know that other people are people. All right. It's not like when I was unhealthy. I viewed my ex-wife and my friends and all those people as not being people. I mean, I knew they weren't rocks. I knew they weren't trees. I knew they weren't blades of grass. I knew that they were people. When I say that you don't view people as people when you're unhealthy, what I'm talking about is that you don't properly view the nature of what being a person is correctly. That's what I'm trying to say. So even though you intellectually know that's a person I'm looking at right there you're not viewing them in the context of your life appropriately so intellectual understanding is one thing understanding the true subtle nature of what it means that you're looking at a person this is not something that occurs to unhealthy people it goes right over our heads when we're unhealthy but because unhealthy people when we're unhealthy we don't view other people as people we do not allow for what that means for the other implications of what that means the other things that that necessitates right if i view you as a person for real what do i have to allow for when i look at my daughter if i look at my daughter and i value her as an individual what does that necessitate? What do I have to allow for? If, if I truly am viewing her as an individual, 
I have to allow for the fact that she will have different opinions, likes, dislikes, and all these things than I have. Because what if I don't? If I don't allow for that, what is the only thing that means? What is, what is the only thing that that can mean? That I'm not allowing for the natural realities that coexist with being an individual. What instead am I assuming? She has to like what I like. Her opinions have to be the same as mine. She has to have the same preferences that I have, right? Is that allowing for individuality? Of course it's not. That is not allowing for individuality. Instead, what is, what is that? When a person does not allow for those things, what explains it? What explains it is perspectives, the same thing that explains all of emotional disorder and all of emotional unhealth. It all comes back to perspectives. But what are the specific perspectives that explain me expecting my daughter to have the same opinions I have, the same likes and dislikes, the same preferences, the same everything, and if she doesn't, I take offense at that. It frustrates and angers me. What is the only thing that explains that? Unhealthy people unconsciously view themselves, and you folks were unhealthy and trying to get better from it, do an honest evaluation of yourselves and you can tell me if this ain't true. Unhealthy people view themselves as a sort of main character in a movie. When you watch a movie, who is the only person that truly matters in the movie? The star. The main character. Or a book or a story, anything like that, right? A story or a movie revolves around one person or one group of people. And in an unhealthy person's consciousness, uh, they are the main character. So what does that mean for all the other people who appear in a movie? I'm thinking about, I don't know why, but um, Lethal Gun 2 come into my head. Mel Gibson and Danny Glover. So Mel Gibson in Lethal Weapon 2, and this is I'm doing this completely off the cuff. You can do this with any movie. Uh, Mel Gibson meets a girl, falls in love with the girl. I think the reason why this left such an impression is I saw it when I was 13, and uh, I wasn't allowed to see it. So my parents said, you're not allowed to watch that. I watched it anyway on HBO. Um, Mel, Gibson, Mel Gibson meets this girl, real hottie, and he's fallen in love with her, supposedly, and all that stuff. And later, she dies in the movie. What was the purpose of the of her? Was she, Did the movie revolve around her? No, it didn't. Um, the only reason that her character existed at all was for Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson's character, I should say. So the whole movie, the whole reason the whole movie exists at all is for Mel Gibson and Danny Glover. So this 
girlfriend, this love interest, comes into the movie, what's she there for? The only purpose she is there for is to add to the story of Mel Gibson and Danny Glover, right? She is there to feed into that story and to serve the purposes of that story. And if the purposes of that story is that she dies, which she does, spoiler alert, and it and it makes the story better, that's what she's there for. But the only purpose that that character is there for is for Mel Gibson, Mel Gibson's character, I should say, and Danny Glover's character. And that is what being unhealthy is like and being surrounded by a world of people. The world and everything exists for you. These people are not individuals when you're looking out at the world. Like, for example, my ex-wife, her her true value when I was unhealthy, and I hate to say this, but I have to speak the truth about this so that people can escape this form of thinking. As much as I cared about her and everything, she was really just feeding my story. She was really just there to add to or contribute to my story. And if you think about why I was able to mistreat her so much and to betray her and to do all these terrible things uh, to her that a loving husband would never, you know, a, 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 tr- a husband who's truly loving would never ever do, who truly, truly loves and cares for somebody, the reason why I was able to do that at all is because I didn't view her as a person. I viewed her as an extension of me. And that's what it comes down to. Unhealthy people view all the players and actors in their lives as just players and actors. They're just there for what they add to or take away from your story. And so I've come up with a term for this. And I call it suppliers or deniers. So, unhealthy people don't view other people as people, that is to say as individuals. We only view them as suppliers or deniers of our own wants and needs. So think about what that means. If you're cooperating, if you're cooperating and contributing to the the things that I like and want and the way I want my life to be, that equals good. If you're interfering or con, or con, um, uh, what's the term? Well, uh, if you're in, in any way interfering with or slowing it down or getting in the way of those things, well, that equals bad. You see, the one is a supplier. You're supplying my needs. You're contributing to my movie, to me as the hero and the, the, the center of everything. You're contributing to that. Or you're denying that from me. If you're denying that from me, you're bad. If you're cooperating and feeding me that, you're good. Another way to describe this is in video game terms. Uh, my daughter loves this movie called Free Guy. 
which has uh, Ryan Reynolds in it. She loves it because she loves video games. I don't. I don't like, love video games. But again, that's one of those things, right, that this separates the individuality of my daughter from me. But um, there's a term in that movie, uh, NPC. So I think it's like a non-person player. It means you're just a, a computer-generated character within the game. So if you go into a game, you might be playing with lots of people from around the world, but then there are these NPCs who populate this, this world, and they're not real people. They're just there to populate the background and get in the way and you know sell you stuff and, and things of that nature. So if you want to talk about this in video game terms, for an unhealthy person, you're the only real player in the game. And I'm not making that up. That really is the perspective. Again, intellectually I know my ex-wife is real. She's a real person. She's not a, an alien. She's a person. And she's real. But as far as emotionally and like what my obligations to her are and these th sorts of things, she's not real. The only reason she exists is to populate my world supply or deny me she's either cooperating or she's interfering obstructing was the term I was trying to look for earlier so it's really like that that's why I say unhealthy people don't view people as people yes intellectually they know that's a person this person in my life is a real person but on a an emotional level that's not it, it they other people carry no weight they carry no real weight they do not view in real terms in real life terms they do not view other people as people as individuals they view them as npcs people who are there for them you see how unhealthy that attitude is we're going to talk in a little bit about the more dramatic effects that this can have in real life. Think about the, the shooter in Uvalde, Texas. Do you see how that explains so much, doesn't it? Did that, did that boy view other people as people? Did he view other people as individuals, as people who have feelings just like him, who are alive, as just alive as he is? who have the same rights as he has, who has the same dreams and hopes for the future that he has. No, no, no. This was not a person who viewed people as people. So do you see that when you don't view a person as a person, you're able to do some really terrible things to other people because they're not real. They're only there for you. Um... I just saw, I've been watching this show on YouTube um, called The Behavior Panel. I'd highly recommend it. They, have a, they do have a lot of uh, insightful things that they share on that show. But they were doing anal an analysis of a, a Jeffrey Dahmer um, interview. And all through that video as I'm watching Jeffrey Dahmer, I'm thinking, why was he able to take, why was he able to pick up hitchhikers drug them kill them eat them 
Was it because Jeffrey Dahmer was able to view people as people? No. No. When, when you're able to view people as people for real, as individuals with feelings and thoughts and dreams and everything just, just like you, and completely unique and distinct from you, but tr- truly people, you can't bring yourself to do those sorts of things. The only time you can bring yourself to do those sorts of things is if you dehumanize them, right? They're, they're, they only exist for you. You're, you're the character in this movie, and everybody else is just populating. The, the only reason they exist is for your story. You see that? So it doesn't always result in that, in those types of horrendous and horrifying finalities, but, but it's all the same nonetheless. I mean, when you don't view people as people, you're able to treat them in just ter- terribly what wa- terrible ways, and you know, I, and even D- Jeffrey Dahmer getting caught and expressing remorse—that's not true remorse, because what's happening? What happened in his movie? In his movie, he got caught. You see, a person like that—he's just—he's using people like chess pieces to, to, for his own story. So the real regret for Jeffrey Dahmer is that he got caught and if he can manipulate and play the pieces right and gain sympathy and stuff like that and understanding he you know then that that works to his benefit um, that's another thing that unhealthy people do they u- they're using people to their own benefit why because it's their movie it's their movie and everybody else is just populating it. See that? <clears throat> so I'd like you to think about this. What if your left hand, your literal left hand, suddenly started doing whatever it wanted? Independent of your wishes. It just started doing whatever it wants. Would you like that? First of all, think about how you'd feel about that. I mean, seriously, you're sitting here, here, you're reading a book or something, or you're watching a movie, or you're cooking, and your left hand just starts behaving on its own, doing whatever it wants in the ways that it wants. Would you like that? How would you feel? Well, you wouldn't like it. Um... To say that you'd be frustrated by that is is an understatement. And you would do you would fight to regain control over it, wouldn't you? Yes, you would. So do you understand that unhealthy people don't view you as a separate, unique, standalone person? They view you as an extension of themselves. So the unhealthy person is the is the player. You're just an NPC. What if you're in a video game and an NPC that is a, a just a computer-generated fake person is just interfering with everything you're trying to do? Keeps bumping into you, keeps interfering with every, every time you try to jump over something, it blocks you, stuff like that. How would you feel about that? What, what if you're the character in your own movie and one of the background characters who's not even supposed to be have a prominent role in the movie 
comes up, starts interfering with everything you're trying to do. What if your left hand suddenly started doing whatever it wanted, independent of your wishes? How would you feel? Well, now you know how unhealthy people feel every time people exert their individuality. Why do they feel that way? Because you're not an individual. According to their perspectives, you're not an individual. You're an NPC. You're, ex you're an extension of them, right? You, you, the only reason you exist is to cooperate, is to cooperate with them. And if you don't cooperate with them, you, you're in the way. You, you're a pest. You, you, you're, you're getting in the way. So they are the only real person in the entire world. So who's, who is it? Uh, let's say it this way. Whose opinions, feelings, and so forth are the only ones that matter? Theirs. Theirs. Even when they're going through the motions of doing something nice for others, they're not doing it for others. Do you see that? It's not like sometimes they're able to perceive people as real people and then other times they don't. They never view you as a real individual. I'm thinking about like in the past when I would like date a girl. Oh, I'd do all the nicest things for her, right? Treat her so nice, do everything nice, all these things. Who am I really doing that for? Am I doing that for her? No, I'm doing it because I, I'm, I'm playing the situation for what I'm going to get out of it. Right? I want her to be my girlfriend. So I'm going to play the situation just right in a manipulative way. I'm going to be nice because I'm, I'm not an idiot. I know how this works. I do these nice things and everything. I will win the affection. I will get the girl. Do I, can I maintain that, though? Now, of course I can't. We, we date, we get married, walk down the aisle. Do I, do I continue to maintain that? Not once I got what I want. Right, she's an NPC, I'm the real player. Um, let's say my dad, when I was a kid, buys me a brand new fishing pole. That seems like a pretty nice thing, doesn't it? It seems like a very nice fatherly thing, doesn't it? But is my father being completely selfless and um, showing value for me as an individual when he does this? No. He's not doing it for me. Who's he doing it for? He's doing it for himself. Remember, the only reason I exist at all is to serve as a sort of player in his world. Uh, we were just having a conversation the other day. Like, why do people like this even have children at all if they don't value them as individuals? because they need players in their world. It's the same reason why you get a goat or cow or a new chair. It's things in your world that are there to benefit you. They're there for you, right? So why do unhealthy people why do unhealthy people have children? Because I want it for my life. It's it's like you buying, you know, you going to the store and saying, "Oh, I want that thing." I want that thing. Why do you want that thing? Do you want that thing because of the thing? 
I mean, do you, are you thinking about the thing from its perspective? Now, you, you want it for what it adds to your life. That's why unhealthy people have children. Oh, being a parent, that'd be great for me. Being a parent would be great for me. Yeah, I'm going to have kids. Uh, and then they don't treat their kids as individuals, do they? Why? Because they never had kids in the first place because they wanted to meet their children and get to know their children as individuals and raise them as individuals and the the value and the the, the enjoyment, the pleasure of watching them grow into their own people and sending them out into the world and and admiring them for as individuals on their own, separate and apart from you. No, they have children for what? Because it, 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 what it brings to my life, what, what children do for me, it's like getting a new dog. What? Right? Why do you get a new dog? Because of what it adds to your life. Not because of... You don't get a dog because you're so concerned about adding to the dog's life. You get a dog because of what the dog will bring into your life, primarily. Yes, you might adopt it from a adoption service, and you might feel good about that. Still, if it didn't add something to your life, you wouldn't do it. And that's why unhealthy people have children. So, Dad buys me a fishing pole because of the way it makes him feel about himself. You know, remember, the only reason I exist at all is to serve as a sort of player in his world for what I add to his life. So, him buying me the fishing pole is something he's doing for himself, not for me. Primarily, I should say. You know, he's going through the emotions of what he imagines would appeal to an imaginary audience and bring him external value in the form of what? In the form of what he imagines the audience will think. So we're all just extensions of unhealthy people, you see. And that's true. So when you have a different opinion or preference than they do, what's this like? It's like your own left hand rebelling against you and doing whatever it wants, independent of you. That's why it's maddening. They fight to regain control in order to bring their world and everything in it back into its proper place and behavior. So that's why I say that unhealthy people only view everything in the world as suppliers or deniers of their own wants and needs. Anything is either cooperating with their wants or needs, or it's interfering with their wants and needs. Cooperation equals good. Interference equals bad. There's no such thing or room in this formula for individuality. So I told you we'd talk about a few dramatic examples of where failing to view people as people has real-life consequences. Think about a... You hear, you hear about it all the time. It's in the news all the time. Man kills ex-wife. Uh, O.J. Simpson. Well, let's say... Uh, 
avoid a, a lawsuit here. There are many people who would say that even though O.J. Simpson was not convicted of killing his wife, there's a lot of people who would say that he was guilty. He was guilty of it anyway. Um, I'm not going to say that here myself because he was exonerated in a court of law. But there are a lot of people who don't believe that, that ruling. So you hear about stories like that all the time, don't you? About a an angry, jealous ex-husband killing a wife who divorces him. Why, why would a man do that at all? Do you see how the explanations we've just had for the past hour explain it? If you don't view a person as a person, as just an extension of you, or as just a player in your world, right? You're the, you're the main character. They're, they only exist for you. Do you see how that explains it? Why an ex-husband would kill a wife he claims to love, of course. It's the absurd on its face, the idea that, some, that you could kill somebody you love. Never. What is that? It's a obsession is what it is. Unhealthy obsession. But it explains it, don't it? Jeffrey Dahmer was an example I used. Why, why can a Jeffrey Dahmer exist? The only reason he can exist is because he's he's the he's the only real character in the movie. Everybody else is just there to support the movie. They're just there to add to the movie. But he's the only real character in it. How about rapists? How could a person bring themselves to violate another person in a rape? Is it because they look at a woman, the rapist looks at the woman and sees a real person? No. No. A rape would not happen under those circumstances. The only way it happens is that the rapist looks at the woman and sees a, an NPC. Right, a background character to his movie. Thieves walk up and steal something from somebody. Do you see that, you know, if you're a healthy person and you're going to steal something from somebody, how much more that takes? Because you're not only, you're not just taking a thing from somebody. When you're viewing somebody as a person, you inescapably have to consider how this is going to make them feel, how you would feel if this happened to you, how hard they probably worked to get that thing in the first place, and how you're taking that away from them. How would you feel if you had worked so hard to get that thing, and now somebody's taking it from you who didn't work for it, didn't earn it? How is the only way that that happens? You don't view people as people. Kidnappers. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna. Ha- I'm planning this week to have a conversation, a real frank conversation with my daughter about kidnappers and about what to do, um, 
how to protect herself from them and stuff like that. But kidnappers, uh, people who kidnap other people's children. First of all, are they viewing the children as real people? No, no, they're not. They, they can't be. They're viewing them as just objects that are there for them, right, in their movie to, to add to their life story. Um, are they viewing the parents as people? No, they can't be. They can't be. Otherwise, they would not be able to follow through with a thing like that. Because they would say, if I had my own children, never in a million years would I want to go through something like that. You know, what, what must they be feeling? What must they be, what kind of agony must they be going through? How about child abuse? Same thing. These are not people that view other people as people. Um, there's a story in the news recently of a, of a guy walking right up to an old lady in New York City, stabbing her in broad daylight. Did that guy view that old lady as an individual, as a person? Impossible. Impossible that he did. He viewed her as an NPC. That old lady is just this this fake person walking around populating his world. He's the, he's the, the main character. And everybody else are just these kind of impersonal, abstract, fake versions of people populate in his world um, and of course we talked about the shooting in Uvalde did that boy view people as people impossible impossible that he did now these are extreme cases it doesn't always manifest that way and mostly in real you know in most day-to-day life it manifests in you uh, your wife feeling certain things needing certain things from you and you scoffing and walking out and saying and not placing any importance whatsoever on her feelings and thoughts uh your children are scared they're being ridiculous you're being ridiculous you're just you're being a denier right now of my own um relaxation and comfort your fear doesn't matter because it's it's stupid so just bottle that stuff up and leave me alone you see that is the way it typically manifests itself in day-to-day life we described some of the more dramatic instances of how it um, manifests manifests itself didn't we so there is something really important to think about do you view people as people half of you probably don't the other half of you have had experiences with people who don't this should be very helpful in you understanding what is going on for those of you who are doing this yourselves don't beat yourselves up about it it's these are perceptions that can be corrected and one thing that can help you do that and get started in the right direction is the last symptom fundamentals course you can get it for free right now only until Tuesday after Tuesday you won't be able to get it for free anymore Um, it's a two-week intensive course that is designed to help all people with emotional disorders escape them understand how they got there in the first place the way they behave why they behave that way uh, and the way out so uh, hope all of you will take advantage of that Um, any last things I want to say here tonight 
uh, no, I just it's been a real pleasure here starting off the fifth season with you of the Last Symptom Podcast. Of course, the show is now available as a video on Rumble and YouTube, so please subscribe to those channels. And I, you know, I, what can I say? I want you to have a good weekend. I say it every week, but I mean it every week too. So take care of yourselves. We'll be back here next week, and uh, we'll have lots of great things to talk about. All right, so take care. Mm-hmm.